I just love that video opener, just like, with all the craziness that's out there, calm. The best songs always have a backstory. There's always something that triggered the writing of a song. And when we understand what the backstory is, our appreciation and admiration for the song grows because we, we know where it came from and the meaning behind the words. If you're joining us, we are uh, in this series called How Sweet the Sound. Uh, it, it's, it's fitting that as we're going to be look, we're looking at four classic hymns and the story and the theology behind those songs. It's fitting as we are kind of ramping up and anticipating uh, our own night of worship here on September 10th. Write it down. I want you here. I want this room filled. As we're looking at some new songs, it's good to look back at some historical songs, some, some classic hymns and the story and the theology behind those songs. Now, if you're like, oh, I don't know, I really like those songs. Well, it, you know, it's, it's helpful to understand. Hopefully, you'll, you'll ga gain some appreciation. And if you're a, one of those, uh, you know, hymn, hymn people that love them, I appreciate them. I, I love most of them, not all of them. But if, if, you, if you're like that, if you get a little sideways when, when a new rendition of a classic hymn and you're like, oh, they just need to, they need to sing it the way it was written. Let me just tell you, cool your jets. Because most of them have been rewritten and retitled and, 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 you know, lyrics changed and all that. In fact, last week, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved the rest like me. Talk about the story of the captain ship uh, of a slave ship captain. And, but when, when that song, God just had it, you know, it was silent for so many years, had it come to America, you know, in the 1800s during, you know, in our national tragedy called slavery, and it was the slaves who took Amazing Grace and changed the melody. We don't sing it in the British way it was written. Amazing Grace. Do you hear the black spiritual in it? How sweet. I love that version. So if you're a little tight, you know, and a little stressed out about changing it, well, buckle up today. Because this famous song, the title has changed multiple times, the words changed, and and you'll be just fine with it. If you like it the way it is, it wasn't the way it was written. Today we're going to look at a hymn that's probably one of the most favorite hymns, my personal favorite hymn. And I just love, my, I love the history to get, teach history, but also then jump into God's word. This hymn started, you can try to figure out as I tell the story what it is. This all started in 1885 in Sweden. And there's a, a, a man by the name of Carl Boberg, as he was walking home from work, Carl was the pastor, later become a politician, if that could happen, it did. Um, but he was walking home from work, and the sky changed, it began to get dark, clouds came in, pretty soon there's thunder, lightning, he's running for safety, running for cover, downpour, and he is watching in amazement this powerful storm that just happened. Now I grew up, you know, all my grown up years in San Jose, California, we didn't have storms, thunder, lightning, all that. It was like my perfect desire, it rained often at night while I was sleeping and we came out and everything's watered as it should be and the sun's out. I mean, that's perfect, perfect. But when I left California, went to college in Virginia and I was a freshman, the first night I was at my window, if you grew up in the South, you know what I'm talking about, I'm at my window watching the thunder, I mean, hearing the thunder, watching the lightning, 
I thought the Civil War had broke out again. I mean, cannon fire. I mean, it was just so loud. Everything shook it. As a California kid, I'm going, this is awesome. It was that kind of a storm. So Carl Boberg is being captured by this powerful storm. And then the storm subsides and moves away. And off in the distance, the sky is opened up. He rushes home, opens up all his windows to let the fresh air in. And then he just experienced the loudness of an awesome storm. Now the storm's in the distance and he hears birds singing. And off in the distance, he hears church bells ringing. And the contrast of this fire, powerful storm, and then birds singing. And chapel, you know, the, the church bells ringing. He, it, the, the contrast overwhelmed him. He dropped to his knees and began to worship God. Then he was inspired to write about his experience. So he wrote a poem. And the poem he entitled, O Storgud. Nice Swedish name, O Storgud. Well, then he, he published it in their local newspaper, little, little newspaper. And he had no idea that an unnamed Swedish person took O Stored Good and attached a Swedish folk you know, melody and put the two together. Carl had no idea. Years later, as a pastor, he would go around, he got invited to go to another uh, in town, and, uh, and he began to, and he was going to go there to preach. And before he gets up to preach, O Stored Good is being sung in that church. He totally caught by surprise, had no idea that it was put to music, and there's his poem being sung. And it was popular for a little bit, then died down. 22 years later, O Storgud jumped the border and into Germany, and it caught on there. They changed the title, and they were singing a song. 20 years after that, it jumped the border into Russia and they changed the title again and the words. And a missionary couple by the name of Hein, uh, Stuart Hein, him and his wife were missionaries, British missionaries in Ukraine. They're hearing the song sung in Russia. They love the song. They sing it all the time. And Stuart said to himself, one of these days I'm going to translate it into English. And then World War II happened. And all the craziness that took place around the world, especially in Europe. And in 1949, Stuart Hine got around to translating it into English, changed the title again, and then paraphrased in English what was written in the poem. Paraphrased it. Because it was, he needed to paraphrase it so it, it just kind of flowed smoothly. It, just, it wasn't like Swedish. He, English wanted to be smooth. So change the title, change, change the, the, the words even to capture the original meaning. And then as a missionary, he was involved in a publish, uh, like a magazine, a missionary magazine. So he published the song uh, in English and all that. And it went to 15 different countries. He had no idea that it went all the way to India, became very popular in India. And then there was an Irish-American evangelist by the, by the name of Edwin Orr who was in India for evangelistic meetings, and he hears this song sung in English, and he was like, man, I, I, I dig preaching, but man, that song, I love that song. 
And when he left India, he came back to the States, and he came back to do a conference for college students. And he said, you know what, I'm going to introduce that song at this conference for college students. Well, in the crowd happened to be the children of Tim Spencer. And these children are so captured by this song, they contact their father and said, Dad, you would love this song. you got to hear this song. you got to hear this song. And you're thinking, well, who in the world is Tim Spencer? Well, obviously, you should know this, that it was, he was part of the Singing Cowboys in California with one of his dear friends was Roy Rogers. That was behind him, besides Roy, it was the, the sons of the you know, pioneers, I think their name was. And Tim loved the song so much, he purchased the rights, published it, put it on one of the Sons of the Pioneers album, and they started singing it. Well, they weren't that, that big of a deal, and it didn't really go anywhere until in, in 1954, this song was virtually unheard in America until somebody put this song in the hands of George Beverly Shea. George Beverly Shea was the worship leader to some evangelist you probably never heard of before. He was the worship leader to Billy, uh, Billy Graham. Billy Graham. And, and George said, hey, we need to sing this song at all of our meetings and all of their like, you know, citywide crusades. And in 1957, they were in Madison Square Garden having 16 weeks, not 16 days, 16 weeks long. And every single night they sang this song. And it was also televised to 96 million Americans. And in 1967, a no-name, nothing singer by the name of Elvis Presley uh, put it on an album and it broke the charts his rendition of it. And in 2011, Carrie Underwood did the same on her album and it broke the charts. Her rendition of this song that started out as a poem called O Store Good, which we often know now as How Great Thou Art. How Great That Art. So what we're going to do is we're going to walk through the theology and the truth of God's word found in this, in this hymn that I just absolutely love. But So we're going to walk through. Uh, in verse 1 and 2, um, we see the power of God is displayed in creation. The power of God is displayed in creation. And now, and now the English version of this, you'll see, goes all the way back to that storm that took place that, that really got the attention of Carl Boberg. Here's verse one. Oh Lord my God, when I in awesome wonder consider all the worlds thy hands have made, I see the stars. Here it is. I hear the rolling thunder. Thy power throughout the universe displayed. Verse two. When through the woods and forest glades I wander and hear the birds singing sweetly in the trees. When I look down from lofty mountain grandeur and see the brook and feel the gentle breeze. These first two verses really display the power of God and how it's displayed in creation. And what happens is right now we are all... We are all bombarded with things that just bring us down, the stress 
of life and work and what's happening in our economy and what's happening in the world and COVID and vaccines and mandates and all this. And what happens is we can just kind of cycle down and become down and depressed and kind of mired in the muck of our culture. And what happens is if you get our eyes and just lift it up and understand that God's glory and God's wonder is all displayed around us. And we understand that, there, that the creation shows and magnifies the, the power and glory of God. Creation, we see this all around us. We see the power of God in a lightning storm. We see the power of God whenever you see a waterfall. God put it there. And there's power of God's creation there. God created all the animals. And just, just the fact that God would create a lion and the roar of a lion is really displaying the power of God with that creature. That God made him that way. The power of God's in creation we see when we see a, uh, the wonders of waves crashing over and over and over again. I don't know if you've been to the ocean like me and seen waves. You just kind of linger for hours watching them. There's a powerful there. It's, that's God's creation. It is displayed with, with majestic mountains, the power of God's creation. And we are blessed to have it in our backyard, a mountain such as Mount Rainier. That's the power of God's creation. The power of God's creation is, is also being shown off in the Grand Canyon. Down near the bottom, you think it's a big hole in the dirt. Man, there is incredible beauty down there. God's just showing off. God is also showing off with the northern lights. That's like God's own light show. You have a problem with lights in, in, in the services? Uh, don't go see the northern lights. God's just showing off his power, his glory, the wonder of his creation. We also see it in the mystery of space. And I love the Hubble telescope and all the pictures coming from NASA just going deeper and deeper out, and out beyond where we are and saying, whoa, wow, look at this. Even I saw this, the, 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 the head of a horse of nebula. That is like, kind of like, well, that's really cool. Well, God's just showing off. Then you see just our own galaxy, the Milky Way galaxy. It is it is so expansive. We're just one little blue dot planet amidst all sorts of different things and stars in our galaxy. And our galaxy is just a fraction of the vastness of God's universe. I tell you, if you get down and discouraged, I'm going to tell you two things. Stop watching the news and look up in the sky. If that's at night, some of you came back from camp and you had, you had no competition and God was just showing off very clearly out um, underneath the trees. Or you go at night and it's like, wow, God, look at you. I don't know about you, I bust out in how great thou art, except I don't do the KJV version. I go, how great you are, God, how great you are. And I, and I start singing it. It's so easy to get discouraged and just get siphoned down this negative hole. And God's saying, you know what? The power of my glory is displayed in creation. Look at Psalm 8. I have the verses on the screen. It says, Lord, oh Lord, how majestic is your name in all the earth. You have set your glory in the heavens. That's God's glory up there. Uh, Psalm 19, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the works of your hands. Day after day, they pour forth speech. What are they saying? How glorified, how powerful, how majestic God is. Day after day, 
His creation does that. Night after night, they reveal knowledge. What knowledge? Knowledge about God. That God is a massive God. And our little lives, you know, compared to God, you know, is, is, is quite the difference. And here we are trying to tell God what to do. You know, it's like God's like laughing in heaven, you know. But it's revealing the nature of the knowledge of God. It's his creation. And still today, with all the technology, with all the, you know, the pictures from space back to earth, I mean, everything that we're seeing in science, where here's this creative God, not only in a massive scale, but even going into a mother's room, Psalm 139 says, and intricately weaving a new life together. That creative God, and with all the technology, with all the scans, with all the image, 4K pictures, there's still people going, I don't believe there's a God. I don't see him. It's because you're spiritually blind. I'm not making fun of you. I'm saying you're spiritually blind. You can't see what I, I see God everywhere. And it just, he goes crazy, just shows off with his creation. That's why Romans 1 says this. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, and he names them, two of them, his eternal power and his divine nature, those invisible qualities, little play on words, have been clearly seen. Seen where? Being understood from what has been made, created, so that people, no matter where you live, what culture you live in, that people are without an excuse. There is a God. There is a divine creator of all things. There is someone way bigger than us, which leads us to a response. And here's the chorus, here's the refrain. It's, it's a response to the wonder of God. All of his creation hits the chorus. Here it is. The response to the wonder of God then sings my soul all the way down into the innermost being of who I am. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great thou art. How great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. How great you are. How great you are. That's kind of the response that we have. Then there's a big turn in verse, in the stanza of three. Verse three it really shows that the love of God is shown in our salvation. So here's this creator God that, that we find from scripture that he's spoken into his existence. And, and the part of the triune of God was really understood and written who that was in Colossians, and it's Jesus who spoke everything into existence and created everything. And then there's a turn where God's love for us is shown in our salvation in verse 3. Here it is. This is powerful. So this creator God, but when I think that God, his son, Jesus, not sparing, not going to spare his son, sent him to die. I scarce can take it in. I, I can't comprehend that. And that on a cross, my burdens gladly bearing, that he gladly bore your sin, my sin, the sin of the world on a cross. And he bled and died to take away my sin. 
this creative God with all the power and majesty and wonder. He's so vast that he cares about this blue dot called earth and he zooms in down to on a personal level that he wants a relationship with us but sin has separated us from God. That he said, I'm gonna take my son, he's gonna leave the throne of heaven and he's gonna come to earth and he is going to be the perfect sacrifice and his blood will cover our sins, meaning the forgiveness of sin is found in the blood of Christ. Who does that? This creator God, this creator God. Romans 5 explains this. He says, you see, Paul says, you see, just at the right time when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. No one dies for ungodly people. As in verse 7, it says, very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person. But God demonstrated his own love for us in, that, in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And this triggers a response back to the chorus. Then sings my soul, my Savior, God. My Savior, God, to thee. How great thou art. How great thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior, God, to thee. How great you are. How great you are. If you don't have a triggered response to worship God, that means something's wrong with you. Meaning maybe you don't have a relationship with God and it's only found in Christ that God sent Jesus here to die for you and, and as soon as you trust in him as your savior that he died for your sins, by faith you trust in that. Jesus says, I'm gonna give you the Holy Spirit as a gift because he's in heaven, you give it the Holy Spirit that will illuminate your eyes. You're spiritually blind and now you see Whoa, now I see God everywhere. Now I can understand the Bible. Oh my goodness, the love of God. It, he, he loved me. Like that song we just sang, he was there all along waiting for us to come home. And there's that response of worship then sings my soul, my Savior God to thee. Then the fourth verse that was written in 1949 after World War II talks about the return of Christ will be overwhelming, the return of Christ. Here's verse four. It says, when Christ shall come with a shout of acclamation and take me home, what joy shall fill my heart. How are we gonna respond? <laughs> then I shall bow in humble adoration and then proclaim, my God, how great you are. We just talked about, we just had a series on preparing for the return of Christ in 1 Thessalonians 4. That's 1 Thessalonians 4, that there'll be a shout from heaven. The clouds will apart, uh, 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 separate and Jesus will appear in the clouds and take his Christians, his church home with us so that we will be with him forever. And in this very verse is our response is with joy. He's here. He's finally here. But I'm humbled and I'm bowed. Like I, he saved me. And even when my friends laughed at me for believing in Jesus, and even when I was mocked at, at, at the shipyard or on the boat, that, that he came back. It's true. He's my savior. 
and I'll humbly bow with adoration go, you indeed are great, are great. You see, this song, How Great Thou Art, it, it, it captures the core elements of a powerful worship song. It talks about who God is and what God has done for us. And then it allows for our response back to God. Who God is, what he's done for us, and then our response back to him. Oh, if you don't know Jesus, please trust in Jesus. Even as we wrap up the service, maybe you've heard about it, maybe you've never trusted him, just humble yourself and say, yes to Jesus, be my savior. Yes, you died on the cross, makes no sense, but I trust in Jesus. And if you're a follower of Jesus, when we close this service, we're going to sing this song. We're going to sing, oh, store good in the English version. And I'm going to challenge you to worship God. Just forget everybody around you, the person sitting next to you, in front of you, behind you, and you're just worshiping to God and telling him how great he is. If you want to lift your hands, great. Maybe if you never do that, if you close your eyes, no one will see your hands in the air. If you want to kneel down, whatever, just authentically respond to who he is and what he has done for you. Let's stand as we close. Great. 
of acclamation and take me home what joy shall fill my heart then I shall bow in humble adoration and there proclaim my God how great thou Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great Thou art, how great Thou art. Then sings my soul, my Savior God, to Thee. How great you for the reminder each and every day as we look out into the world around us that you are near. Thank you, God, that we can trust that you were there in the past and you're going to be there tomorrow. You are worthy of every praise and every effort, Jesus. It's in your mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you for joining us today. Yeah. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for coming out today. Next week, we got Food Truck Sunday, so bring a friend. Bring somebody who's not familiar with Christ here. It's a great opportunity for them to enter into the community of believers. And if you're a guest with us, please step out and visit our guest service counter. we got a special gift for you. We look forward to seeing you next time. God bless. Take care.